Well, welcome. We are in the second week of a series called Advent Conspiracy, as that little video shows. And uh, the premise of this series is to say, if we can get our hearts and our heads around the story of Jesus, what the incarnation means, what Jesus is really doing, especially in the first century, that we would be invited to live in a different way. And as that video says, the way would be free. It would actually lend us to a place where we could be in this season in a very, very beautiful way. Last week, we talked about worshiping fully. That at the center of the story, it starts with, it stops with, it's all about Jesus Christ. We can't try and spend less or give away more presents or love all if we don't put Jesus at the center of it. And this morning, we're going to talk about spending less. So first thing I want you to do, we're going to get really uncomfortable. I'm probably going to offend half of you. Uh, Take your wallet or your purse and take it out and just set it on your lap. Okay? Wallet or purse, take it out, set it on your lap. Already a few grunts and groans there where uh, it's like, what is he going to do? What's going to happen? Stay with me. So Lisa, in our weekly email, which by the way, if you don't get the weekly email, I encourage you to sign up on the tear-off in the bulletin. It's a great way to week in and week out stay aware of what's going on. But here's what was in the weekly email to get you thinking about this idea of spending less. Because um, not surprisingly, it's not the popular thing to talk about. What would it look like as followers of Jesus to spend less? So here's the question. What was the one gift you remember getting for Christmas last year? And some of you don't even remember one. Here, the follow-up question is so good that she put in. What about the fourth gift you got? Would anybody actually remember the fourth gift that we got? We don't remember it. And the truth is, we don't because usually we're spending money and we're getting things that we don't necessarily want or need. And here's the, I, I want you to hear this. This next line is so important. Spending less isn't a call to stop giving gifts. We're not trying to guilt or shame you. That is not the goal at all. I want you to have an amazing Christmas I hope your home is full of joy and togetherness, that there is life. So it's not a call to stop giving gifts. It's a call to stop spending money on gifts we won't remember in less than a year and sometimes in less than a week, right? It's a call to live differently. America, as we said it, we spent $450 billion during the Christmas season. And the reality is much of it goes right to the credit card. And that's not freedom. So what would it look like to live freely during this season as we follow Jesus Christ? So take your wallet or take your purse, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Hand it to the person next to you. And the person next to you as you're getting it, don't open it. Don't open it. I saw a few of you, phone was out, Amazon.com was all ready to go. Stace, you want me at my wallet or... Um, how does that make you feel? Person next to you has your wallet. Remember, don't open it, the person next to them, especially if you're their spouse. But it, 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 it puts some weird feelings in us, right? Tensions around, you know, my, my, who I am is in that, my license, my money's in there. And the reality is often it's not our money that's in there. It's a plastic card that's in there. You can hand it back to the owner now. But it tells us something. That exercise tells us about the tension that exists in most of us. 
that we are often defined by a kingdom of this world that is around this idea of consumerism. We're going to read the whole of Matthew chapter 2 this morning and talk through it. Because that competition, that tension in you is the tension of, do I submit to, do I trust Jesus Christ and live in the kingdom of God, which has its challenges, but freedom is the result? Or do I continue to buy in to the lies that I'm told by the kingdoms of this world? And I think Matthew 2 gives us a great understanding of what it can look like. Let's pray. Jesus, as we enter your word, God, I pray that you would speak. Lord, I hope and desire that we would celebrate and be about this season of Advent and Christmas in a way that honors you and that breathes life into all of us. So use your word to do that this morning. Pray this in your name and all God's people said. Matthew chapter 2, reading in verse 1, it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, during the time of King Herod. We're going to talk about King Herod in a second. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Because he's the king, right? He was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ... Remember, we talked about this before. Christ is not some divine, some God part of Jesus. Christ means Messiah. Where this one claiming to be king was to be born. Now let's talk for a second about the kingdom of Herod because that's what these first few verses are about. What is this kingdom of Herod? So who is Herod? Herod was the king of the Jews. Naturally, when he hears somebody else is coming into the king of the Jews to be king of the Jews, he's going to be upset, right? He is the king of the Jews. In 30 BC, Octavian had made him the king of the Jews. The head of the Roman Empire had said, you are the king of the Jews. He had been confirmed as that. He was a great builder. He had, in fact, led the rebuilding of the second temple in Jerusalem. And if you know anything about Jewish life, the temple was at the center of Jewish life. So this guy had helped rebuild it. Problem was, he had stamped his name on it. And it had become known as the Temple of Herod which was problematic to these people who wanted freedom. He had brought a water supply into Jerusalem, literally brought them life. You cannot live in the first century, can't live today without water. He had brought systems of water into Jerusalem, bringing them life, cities and buildings. He was an amazingly wealthy king who had amassed most of what he had at the expense of the poor around him. Which, by the way, anytime you see a system with few wealthy elite and many, many masses of poor, it's a system that's very broken. And that's what Herod had led into. That he had amassed taking from others around him. It's intriguing, though, if you read the history about Herod, he was an insecure leader. Anytime someone would seem to be challenging him or maybe wanting his throne there in in, uh, Israel, he would kill him. And there are many stories of Herod actually killing his family members who were wanting to take over from him, he thought. And if you think about the kingdom of Herod, if you think about his kingdom, I think of words like power. He was a strong man. He was a great man. He had built things. He had amassed much. But you'd also put like, words like fear and pride. Herod was at the center of it. Death was always knocking at the door. 
the kingdom of Herod. Let's jump back to verse 4 again, read through verse 8. Again, it says, verse 4, When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler, listen, who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. When Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. So we just talked about King Herod. Let's talk about this baby who is already being called the King of the Jews, the Messiah, the King. What is he like? If we look at just this text, it tells us about a very different kingdom that baby Jesus, God incarnate, is bringing in. This text tells us that it's fulfilling prophecy. Micah 5, 2. And that's important because it's not just about something that happened by accident. The story of Jesus, God coming in human form as an infant to redeem humanity, it's the plan of God. This is the kingdom that we're talking about. It happened in Bethlehem, which traces his lineage back to David, that he is going to be the right heir to the king of the Jews. And ultimately, if he's the heir to the king of the Jews, he's the heir to be king of all. The story is bigger. But I love verse 6. That he will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You see he's going to be a king, but he's going to lead in a very different way. He's going to lead not by taking, not by getting more, but he's going to lead by caring. It's a different type of leadership. It's a different type of kingdom. It's one that comes out of poverty. It's one that is all about humility. It's about caring. It's about the other. It's about the insignificant. It happens in a way that doesn't make sense. So think with me before we jump into verse 9. As you think about Herod's kingdom and the way of Jesus, think about the kingdoms of our world that we tend to buy into. It's interesting. Like Herod's kingdom, we often misplace what it's all about, right? Like Herod's kingdom, we often misplace what it's all about. The real king of the Jews, the real king of us, is born as an infant and it doesn't make sense. He's not born in a palace, he's born in a manger and it doesn't make sense. Like Herod's kingdom, we often worship the consumerism of having more and more and more and more. And as a result, like Herod, we tend to buy into the lie that stuff produces happiness. And if we buy into that lie, we come back to the cycle, getting more and more and more. And like Herod, we tend to amass more at the expense of others. Think about it. When was the last time you bought something and researched child labor issues with that product? We tend to amass more at the expense of friends, of marriages, of our kids. Listen to some of these stats. Americans and Europeans together annually spend $17 billion on makeup. Yes, I'm not talking golf clubs because that would convict me. So I'm going to talk makeup. $17 billion on makeup. $10 billion would cure the world's water crisis. 
$19 billion would give food for all. This, this one blew me away, and this is, from a United Na- this is all from a United Nations website, by the way. $5 billion would give schools for every kid to be able to have a chance to read. $5 billion. And we spend $450 billion at Christmas. We spend $17 billion on makeup. I think the point of this whole thing, and I, this is the thing that I pray sticks with you. And the challenge is the kingdoms of the world demand our devotion at the risk of our souls. The kingdom of the world, the kingdom of Herod, the kingdoms of our world that we so often buy into, we, 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 we think they're going to make sense, going to make happiness. They demand our devotion at the risk of our souls. Last Sunday after one of the football games, Genesis and I were sitting there watching TV and one of the news channels said that during the Christmas season there will be 300, on average, 300 Amazon.com orders per second. Per second. Commercials and advertising and consumerism, they tell us that we will be happy if we spend more. Over 13 million Americans have debt that they accrued from last Christmas today. We buy into this lie. And it just keeps us running in place. Jump down to verse 9. Verses 9 through 12 say this. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I think the point of this part of the story is this idea is that Jesus is not impressed by any other kingdom. He's the one to be worshipped, and neither should we be. Neither should any other kingdom demand and in fact inspire our allegiance. Jesus ignored Herod by entering the world as the king of the Jews in weakness and poverty. It wasn't with glitz. It wasn't in a palace. It wasn't the way they thought it should be. It was in a manger. And not quite as pretty even as the mangers that we tend to put up around this time of year. Over and over again, the kingdom that Jesus is about, it's authenticated, it's made right by God, not by any worldly wealth or power or anything around us. And over and over again, the birth and life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus will show us that the kingdom of God is very unimpressed with the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus again and again and again shows us what it looks like to simply live and act and talk faithfully within this kingdom. I think the challenge for us is this idea that we need to cultivate this spiritual discipline of ignoring the Herods, ignoring the kingdoms of this world, and submitting to the kingdom of God. It's exactly what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, verse 24, a passage you've heard again and again. But it's so true. No one can serve two masters. We try to do it, don't we? We all do. I'm in the front row on this message, friends. We all try to. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
I think for us, we should ignore the flash of the world for the eternal weight of the kingdom. Let's read the rest of the story, verse 13 of chapter 2. When they'd gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the other boys in Bethlehem its vicinity who were two years of old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, having been warned in a dream. He withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, so it was fulfilled again. It was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Love this story. And again, and when we talk about spending less, at the heart of this is the idea that we worship an eternal king, an eternal kingdom, not something that is passing. Think about the story. Herod was threatened by a child born into poverty and thus orders the death of all baby boys under the age of two. It's a little different than the story that we tend to read, right? We don't read some of the messiness, some of the brokenness, some of the hurt, some of the pain that actually happens in this story so that the deliverer of all could come, the king of the Jews would come as an infant. One of the things I see time and time again is that the plan of salvation that God has will never be threatened by a kingdom of this world. No matter how hard it may try, it will never, never happen. And the invitation for us is that for those who follow Jesus and willingly suffer for his kingdom, we see that in the scripture, for the sake of this kingdom, that we will never be threatened by an empire of the world. Not by power, not by wealth, not by materialism. And it comes back to what I said before, and I, please, please think about this. The kingdoms of this world demand our devotion at the risk of our souls. The kingdom of power, the kingdom of wealth, the kingdom of materialism, the kingdom of debt. They demand our devotion at the risk of our souls. So what if instead of spending $450 billion, $1,000 on average per family, what if we decided to live a different way? What if we said, I, I see that the kingdom of God that Jesus brings in as an infant in brokenness is very different than the kingdoms of this world. And I don't want my soul to go there. What if we begin to live a different way? By the grace of God, what if we begin to live a different way? And I want to make a challenge. I want to challenge you with a 10% challenge. What if we said we are going to take 10% and do something different? 
So if you spend 400, what if you said, I'm going to take $40 and live in a different way? After church, walk out to the table there and say, I mean, you can change a person's life in the Congo. You can help a kid in Alaska who would never have a chance at education go to Alaska Christian College and change their life. You can do things here in town with the reach, with that $40 that will change the life of a homeless teenager. And yes, they're in our community. If the story of Jesus is true, and the invitation to spend less matters, and I think it does, Because in spending less, what we're saying out loud and by action, we're saying, I am going to live differently as though I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to do that by how I spend my money, by how I think about this season. So here's my hope. Number one, I hope you're uncomfortable. I really do because I am uncomfortable talking about it. And I hope when you get in your car, that you talk about it. I once heard a uh, stat that most people, the majority of people, forget 90% of what they hear during a sermon within 72 hours. It's really encouraging for those of us who spend a lot of our time putting together these talks. We all do it, right? My prayer is you remember the core. If it's actually true, and I believe it is, the kingdoms of the world demand our devotion at the risk of our souls. How can you, by trusting in the way of Jesus, by trusting in the grace of Jesus, by trusting in the forgiveness of Jesus, begin to live this season into a different reality? If all of us, if Crossview, if we said, you know what, we're going to do the 10% challenge. No, we only have two weeks, but we can, we can live a little differently. We can cut back a little bit here and here. You and I can change lives by worshiping fully and spending less and yet still living so freely into the beauty of the Christmas story. Let's pray. God, I pray, first of all, God, I pray for any among us who are wondering about you, who you are and what you are about. God, I pray that they would be inspired, that the way of Jesus, the plan of salvation, happens in a different sort of way. It begins with an infant. It begins in pain and brokenness and poverty. It begins in a barn. And all of that tells us about a king who looks at us and looks at humanity in a different way. God, I pray that we would be people who go out and because of you and because of your story, that we would go out and enter into this season in a different way, that we would be about redeeming it, not running from it, not yelling about all the things we disagree with, but we would enter into it as Jesus followers submitting to the kingdom of God in a different and hopeful and life-giving way. By the power of your spirit, by your grace, do that. In Jesus' name, amen.